Rusty Quill presents. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Part 2. The Wake. By now, the convergence had begun. And with that, a calm swept over each world, the likes of which none had ever seen. You have to understand, though, this is not the sort of calm most would have wanted. Not relaxing after a long day of work, kids in bed. Not the countryside retreat, civilization miles away. This was the calm that very few ever wanted, but the world desperately needed. A calm that saw the beginning of a return to the way it once was. A lawlessness, because law was never meant to exist beyond the natural order. A slow and gradual process of entropy, because things were never meant to be preserved. A shame that this was not ordained to last that despite the enormous loss of life, the natural order of an age ago was not to be returned. For the order, the human-made order, capital T, capital O, have other plans, and the star, capital S, is much more than any of the millions now littering the night sky. And while great swaths of the population are now as shadow, there are those few who remain the last desperate survivors, and even those are being hunted. The creatures will assimilate them unless they're chosen, many would justify. 
never questioning why they'd never seen one who had been chosen. Why even their own had suffered assimilation. So, we're left with a world on the brink of a new beginning. A beginning meant for the natural order, but instead, it's manipulated and pulled towards the order of the spiraling star. But wait, we must, to find their true goals. Wait, we must, to discover their deepest plans. Eli knew its will, and yet still, he questioned. Katana was the sort who had an apocalypse plan. Had a bag in a cupboard under the stairs. A location he'd meet close friends at. A plan of action. What he didn't have, though, was any of that out on the family farm, where his dad's side of the family had decided to spend their get-together this year. And for Atana, they were the worst people to be in this situation with. And this was the last place he wanted to be when something like this happened. In a moment of quiet, he managed to snatch amongst the carnage. He really kicked himself that he hadn't at least kept the grab bag in his car boot. It wasn't that this side of the family were bad people. Sure, some of their opinions were horrendously controversial, but if they didn't spout them too loudly, he was largely able to ignore them. He'd already tried on many occasions to address their misconceptions, but to no avail, and so had all but given up trying. Unfortunately, though, the events beyond the walls of the log cabin they were hunkered down in had driven some of them down a religious, the end is nigh sort of path. Not that any of them had seen the inside of a church for years. It's the rapture, the end of us all. The great reckoning is upon us. Lord, have mercy on our soul. Lucifer and all his demons have come to drag the unworthy and unjust to hell. The last one he found particularly bizarre especially as his aunt had been caught cheating on her husband last year and showed no sign of repenting that particular sin. Maybe it was a form of confession for her. Still, Etona had to make the most of a bad situation. After a close encounter with some bristling toad-like creature that nearly swallowed his cousin, Etona knew he had to take matters into his own hands, knew that if he didn't, he would soon be in a far worse situation, one that would have been impossible to recover from. He also was aware that if he let them, this side of the family were really going to slow him down. He never wanted anyone to be hanging on when the end days struck. He had, in his plan, agreed to meet only the two friends he knew were just as prepared as he was. So the fact that instead he was stuck with a bunch of adults way past their prime and unbearably spoilt children meant the risk of them getting in his way and being his downfall was incredibly high. Atana pushed past his aunt who was still spouting nonsense and dived into the kitchen. He could hear the shouts of his family, the screams, as another one of those bristling toads must have broken through. Or perhaps another part of the house had collapsed. He wasn't sure and didn't care. He grabbed a few small knives from the drawer, the box of lighters next to them, and the emergency first aid box. It was only when he made to leave out the other door that he came face to face with something that he could he ever have spoken again, would have described as a mass of folded and swollen grey skin, with no discernible features. 
That was until it opened an enormous, stinking maw and moved toward Atana with a speed at which he'd never imagined for a creature so voluminous. But that, of course, was the last thing he ever imagined. The last thing he ever did at all. For although Watana had spent years and years preparing for a moment he thought was just like this, he and every other person in the world, bar a select few, could have never been ready for this. Not in the slightest. Not ever. The boy sat alone, waiting for his parents to come home, and didn't question a thing. He followed his nightly routine, and though he didn't quite understand what routine was yet, he followed it regardless. Walk home with friends, keys in the door, keys back on the side, food, room, games, like clockwork. His disappointment then at finding the power out. He didn't notice the street lights, didn't notice the door opening without an alarm, didn't notice the fridge light. No, it was the games console that did it. That familiar and satisfying series of electronic beeps as he held his finger down on his controller. But instead, silence. Checked the clogs, checked the power pack, checked everything he knew how to check and still nothing. Power cut, he sighed, absolutely pouring with disappointment. He knew having no power wasn't the end of things. He could play on his mobile. He knew he had a fun space travelling game that caught his attention recently. Thoughts of the stars he could travel to, the distant worlds there. As he thought of this alternative, a distant memory somewhere from maybe years ago of his dad saying, just wait until there's another power cut. If we're lucky and it's night, we'll have an amazing view out the back. He always appreciated his dad's enthusiasm for space, always knew it was genuine and mirrored his own. It was the thing they spoke of most. The boy, alone, headed downstairs, comfortable in the dark, as he always was. He felt a pulse of excitement at what he might see, laughed at himself for how he hadn't noticed earlier the lack of artificial light in the late winter evening. Stepping outside, there was a faint smell of sulphur in the air. Was it sulphur? It smelled like something from a recent science practical, something the teacher had burned, followed by a remark about its distinct properties. The word rotten egg echoed between his ears. He brushed it aside. Nothing for now. Once he was in the garden, he climbed the steps to the top of the terrace, knowing that's where he'd get the clearest view. With each step, the smell grew stronger, each moment harder to ignore. Until the last one, when, even in that dim light, he caught a glimpse of smoke rising from where the birdbath once stood. His heart was immediately in his throat, pulsing. He thought absently that it was probably visible on the skin of his neck. His mind seemed to be working overtime to distract him from the very real, very unusual sight that awaited him all this time. Slowly, uncertainly, he crept towards the smoke. Now, almost certain, it was a crater. The boy felt sick at the smell, but curiosity had the wheel and it's an awfully determined driver. 
He'd just made it to the edge, was about to peer in, had the flash on his phone at the ready. Was he about to see a real object from space? A real meteorite? Then with only the warning of a light buzz, then high-pitched popping noise, the ground erupted to the boy's left. He involuntarily leapt into the air and fell backwards into a nearly trimmed row of bushes, raised his hands to shield from the blistering heat that suddenly washed over him. Before he'd recovered, he heard that same noise, buzz, pop, boom. He ran, sprinted back towards the house. Fear being a much faster, more reckless driver, he fell down the last step. As though watching himself for a moment, he saw the inevitable collision of his skull with the concrete slabs his dad had stood up against the fence weeks before with the promise of laying them. Saw shadowy, grey-scale slabs. Saw darkness. In awakening, he heard the muffled bass of a voice. Took too long to recognise it as his father. Heard another reply. Couldn't place it. Black again. Came around once more. Heard no voices, but felt and saw. Felt the warmth of his father, the familiar smell of his clothes, always of earth and life, of the outdoors where he spent his time. The boy felt safety in that, and he knew he'd be alright. Slowly opened his weary eyes and saw a sign, a grey-coloured board, letters embossed in the metal, not painted or printed. Something official, serious about it. Could just make out the largest of the letters there slowly, like always, the jumbled forms began to dance onto a semblance of order, and he could just about read Bunker C-10. The ride to the base was nerve-wracking. Despite the fact he only lived a few miles from the army base, and Ethan frequently cycled, he'd have much preferred the relative safety of his car. And the ride was much more difficult, what with usable roads not really being a thing anymore. As he arrived at the unmanned, rusted guard post of the base, a shadow cast over him by some sort of airborne predator that had been following him since he left his home. He didn't bother trying to catch a glance at it, Every other time he tried, it must have flown away too fast for him to catch. The shadow, though, almost blimp-like in shape, with voluminous fabric? He didn't know, fluttering in its wake. Roughly the size of a school bus with tiny tendrils writhing. Ethan could take it no more. This was the longest amount of time the thing had ever made its presence known. His heart in his throat, he risked a look, and was met with empty air. As the ground became too fouled with detritus and overgrowth, Ethan decided not to risk any damage to his only transport. He disembarked and hid the cycle behind what remained of the guardhouse and proceeded on foot. Ethan, having such a large frame, wouldn't have ever been described as particularly clandestine. Though he tried his best to move stealthily through the bunkers, growing in confidence, withering in hope to find anyone, or anything. That's when he spotted it, a pristine example of an SA-80 with a spare ammo mag. Hand grenades and a Kevlar vest just sat in a fully intact locker, the entire breadth of the bunker away. And not once did it cross Ethan's mind 
that this could be a trap. He scrambled across the bunker, the beating of his heart matching the pace of his boots. As his palms grabbed the grip of the weapon, he looked around, still alone. He donned the Kevlar vest, attached the grenades and ammo bag. He felt more secure than he had in days. Then a shadow. His head snapped to the opening of the bunker, and he moved with military precision. Ethan looked on in horror. A young girl. A child. Clutching her chest. And looking at Ethan with equal parts sadness and confusion before she fell to the floor. A guttural howl of anguish leapt from his throat. Abandoning caution along with his weapon, he careened towards the girl. He slid to the ground and wrapped his arms around. Shadow. The shadow slipped through his arms as he stared into the maw of a blimp-like creature, its tendrils, thousands of them engulfing him until he could feel the heat of the sun bleakly shining through the entrance of the bunker no more. He exited the world, hoping the pin he pulled on the hand grenade destroyed the creature that took him. His hope was in vain. Have you ever watched ice melt on a frozen lake? If the circumstances are right, you might just know what I'm about to describe. On its frosted, glassy surface, they may at first be hard to detect. But slowly, they make themselves known. Perfect little circles of melted ice, slowly revealing the icy waters below. Over time, they grow and radiate outwards. Viewing it from above, you will see such a patchwork of near-perfect circles spread across the water's surface. Some may even meet and overlap, as all of them eventually will. The sight could be compared to that of Swiss cheese, but that diminishes the natural beauty of such a phenomenon. To see the lake in its liquid state, transition to frozen and then at this unusual in-between, is a rare and beautiful sight. But what does that have to do with the current state of the world? Well, this is my view from the tower I'm in. The sprawling city below is the glassy surface of the lake, and the circular splashes of melting ice, the invasion of something else into our world, dotted around. There's a patchwork of aged and crumbling buildings, slowly being reclaimed by flora that once inhabited this place. The stuff we thought we'd removed but was simply hidden beneath the concrete. And much like the lake, you may not notice at first, but over time the changes spread and before long, before long the entire lake is water again. But this is no return to normal, no return to the expected liquid form. This is the arrival of something else, something that corrupts, changes and destroys. And I'm right in the middle of that lake. And I fear all that remains around me is thin ice. Where, like the paralyzing cold waters of the lake below, the invading world could swallow me whole.
The axe slipped from her hand and landed with a wet, muted thud, scraping across the ground. Blood poured from the top of Farah's head, matting her dark hair to her forehead. She quickly dragged her sleeve across her face, attempting to wipe it, managing only to temporarily smear it to one side. That would do. For now. An echoing cry of anguish reverberated around the crumbling concrete walls of the bunker. So, she'd landed a blow too. Good. Maybe that would slow it down. Farah kept her body low, but steadied her feet, planting them firmly on the ground. She pressed her palm against the wall behind her, readying herself to push away when the time came. The creature would strike again. It was only a matter of time. A low growling began to build and betrayed what the dark concealed. Blinking away more hot blood, Farrow was just about able to make out the vaguest outline of the jagged thing. It prowled slowly in semicircles on the edge of the gloom. Farrow tried only to follow its movements with her eyes. She didn't want to give away the small upper hand she had in knowing its location. Four times Ed struck before, four times she'd heard the harsh, rasping exhale as it leapt. Only now did she realise just how much of a telltale sign it was of an imminent attack. Farrah knew it was wrong to hate herself for not realising sooner, knew it was a blessing she could even recognise it now. Even more so that she had survived the attack meant to end her, unlike the others. She focused all her attention on listening, on staying calm. Soon. It had to be soon. There it was. Farrow was moving before she'd even registered. Years of training and natural instinct paying off. In a brief blur of movement, she leapt forward, rolled and turned to stand and face the creature once more. Just as she was about to cast a panic glance across the room for the fire axe, she just knew was in here somewhere. She felt her left leg slide from under her. The view of the room fell away and was replaced by the sight of the cracked ceiling with its broken light fittings. Farrah cursed loudly and regretted putting so much effort into standing back up. Carefully, this time placing her hand down to steady herself, she attempted once more to rise to her feet. There it was again. Throwing away the regard for her own safety over self-preservation, Farrah launched herself to the right, tumbling over what she tried hard to avoid. Forgive me, she whispered hoarsely. Pain lanced across her thigh as she finally staggered to her feet. She'd nearly been too slow. Nearly. Next time would be the last, she was certain. And that's when she saw it. The axe. Its blood-soaked handle barely visible against the equally dark, slick floor. Farrah launched herself forward, this time taking advantage of the hideously slippery floor, allowing it to carry her feet gliding forward and lowering herself to the ground. A growl hiding an injured cry followed her movements closely. Too closely. Fingers firmly gripped on the axe's dripping handle. She swung it upwards with reckless abandon, letting out her own mixed cry of fury and pain. Crunch. The satisfying feeling of the weapon meeting resistance. The satisfying gargle of the creature's throat flooding with whatever it had for blood. But the relief of success was a fleeting feeling, for her death blow on the creature wasn't enough to stop its hulking momentum, its razor-filled jaw narrowly missed closing around her head. 
but that didn't stop its jagged shoulder slamming into her torso, wrenching the axe from her hand and trapping it between her and it. She let out a pained cry as she was once more knocked from her feet, head slamming into the hard ground, only a ragged wheeze now fighting its way out of her crushed chest. Trapped there, with the iron taste of blood mixed with sweat filling her mouth, Farrah attempted to roll and heave the thing off her. It wouldn't budge, and she could barely catch enough breath to give herself any more strength. All the might she had before was gone, snatched from her by this angular, dead nightmare. She tried and tried every technique she knew, all the ones she didn't. Desperation and panic, the only fuel left in her. But nothing, nothing would work. All her energy dissipated as she released the tension in her body, relaxing into futility. Spots pulsed across her vision in time with her fluttering heart, and dizziness started to take over. Letting her head loll to the side, she saw what she'd fought so hard for. Felt great heaving sobs, trying to fight their way out of her. In a too big pool of thick, dark red, propped up against the bed, rested her mother and father. Caught up in a mangled embrace, they would never leave. Then her eyes fell on her older brother, Amir, his lifeless body pressed between them both. Farah felt her head spin and the world tilt, and she knew consciousness was fading. With a bloody gargle, she mouthed the words, I'm sorry. The already gloomy bunker grew a few shades darker, a slow transition to black. But as her vision faded, and the last few rattling breaths left her mouth, she could have sworn she saw Amir's deep brown eyes open. How do you describe the impossible? The indescribable? I believe you start first by losing your mind. Whether that's you allowing it to break, or this new world breaking it for you. The latter, far more likely. And when it comes back, if it comes back, the indescribable is so far removed from your memory that it is merely a reflection of a reflection of a reflection. So distant from its original self that you may as well have never seen it in the first place. And that's exactly what many would have wished, had they had any of their faculties left to do so. For many, it started and ended with nothing. Just a brief flash of dark, and their physical forms vanished in an instant, only to be replaced by a shadowy facsimile of who they once were, eternally carrying out their last action over and over. For others, their transition to darkness wasn't so painless. Instead, they were dragged kicking and screaming through to another world that wasn't theirs and didn't want them. As their bodies were thrown through to the other side, their torture 
was immeasurable and long. And then there were those few who remained. Lucky, some might say. Cursed, more like. Cursed to wonder the darkening, desolate world left in the star's wake. Cursed to wonder what would take them first. Starvation? Exposure? Or would it instead be an impossible nightmare come to life, alien to this world and endlessly thirsting for death? Or perhaps it would be a more hidden horror. A fellow survivor, twisted and altered by this new world. One who couldn't fathom the unfathomable. Think of those places you see, the ones you know most people ignore, the places you walk past and don't notice crumble more and more each year. You forget that the doorway once had a door, the next time you notice forget it had a frame. Years pass and you don't even recognise it as having a doorway at all. Imagine you're suddenly surrounded by these places, but now you can't ignore them. Now you can't ignore their rapid degradation, their thin veneers melting into the environment, leaching poison into the world. Their structures crumble and their foundations crack. You see this now rapid before your eyes. Somewhere deep behind your initial shock, it's clear you've seen this before. A hundred, a thousand times, all around as your aging city rots away and all the things that were never meant to be in that land together are. In your surprise at watching the decades unfold before you, you fail to see the field before you grow, fall, wither, rise, swallow the land. You fail to feel the creeping blackberry vines wrap themselves around your feet in seconds. How your whole body aches and weakens. You tear your eyes away from the still degrading estate and down at your failing body. Were you always this small? The ground so close? blurry also. You find it hard to focus on the details. The grass a smudge of green, the brambles with no visible thorns. You feel so tired, so beaten down by everything. Your coat hides most of the damage, but you feel like there's something different about you still. You can feel it deep inside you. The aches you felt of late have grown, becoming crippling. Absently raising your hand, you see now, at least from what you can still make out, the wrinkles of your knuckles are spread further round. The lines of your skin deepened. They look loose and tight all at once, hanging off the bone, the tendons visible with every movement. And only seconds have passed. And now, a milky white swims over your gaze. All the aches and pains abate. The vines pull you down and down, or at least that's what it feels like. The yellow blaze of the sun. Against the darkness of your failing eyes. The last warmth you feel. The last you feel. At all. I've seen all sorts of horrific things since this all started. All sorts of incredible things too, if you look at it a certain way. I can see and understand why some people reacted the way they have. When everything you know about the world is suddenly ripped away from you and replaced with something which no longer makes any sense. I mean, sure, you can look at a crumbling building and understand, as a result of many factors, how it ended up that way. But your mind really struggles to twist its way around watching it happen before your eyes in a matter of minutes, seconds even. 
For those strong enough of will to comprehend such events, they're often torn to pieces, both mentally and, well, physically, by seeing the creatures this bizarre apocalypse has brought with it. Worse still, the way in which they breathe, move, hunt, kill, are all so different to anything that the majority of people are even aware of, that the sheer incomprehensibility of it is often too much and so... snap. From my own perspective, though, a lot of it is awe-inspiring. I'll not pretend that the first few instances of some of the more horrific encounters I've witnessed or experienced weren't distressing. However, once you're aware of it, once you expect something otherworldly, you can really come to appreciate it. I mean, what do we think scientists of the old world did? They dedicated their lives to discovering creatures that most people weren't even aware existed. Phenomena that has been the source of stories among various cultures for centuries. Imagine, the first person to discover the fungus that invades the brains of ants and commandeers its body, only to force it to climb to the highest point possible, where, once there, the creature endures the fungus growing through its skull, only to seed the air once more with the spores that caused this very event. The fear that scientists must have felt. But how in awe too? That's how this feels. I remember the first time I saw a murmuration of starlings. The way they wheeled, arced, turned and spun through the air. So synchronised, so beautiful and elegant. Their movements mesmerising, impossible to turn away from its perfection. And yet I was terrified. The shapes they made, the patterns that they weaved in the air, their immense combined existence. To my naive young mind this collaboration of thousands looked like one enormous creature that ebbed and flowed through the air with absolutely zero effort, obeying its own laws, splitting and converging, rising and diving, all as one, all as one. I can see a swarm of jellyfish-like creatures performing an almost identical, mesmerising routine right now. They're on the road in front of the house and I just... The flower, waiting for spring, had no idea it would never make it there. There were many flowers that never made it, tucked away in the roots, the stem, the buds, if they ever made it that far. In our world of everything immediate and now, the slow, the time-takers, lose their time. Like the squirrel burying nuts for the long winter months, only to never return out of no doing of its own, or even any of its own kind. No, the flower will not make it to spring. It will, beyond all natural means, bloom in the depths of winter. It shall push its barely red petals out into the world, eager to absorb sunshine, to have the busy bodies of bees carry its pollen from place to place. But instead... They shall wilt within hours, minutes, seconds even. Freeze overnight. Dry, drop, dead. And before anyone can see its beauty, it's gone. Such is the order of things now. When in a world of everything, immediate and now, something happened too fast.
too fast for everything. The things that came through that tear, that rift, that portal, were unlike anything this world has ever seen. Even the most twisted and tortured artists had not been able to capture such horrors as now exist. An image cannot do justice against their three-dimensional, living, breathing, deathly presence. A picture of a pack of wolves inspires courage and unity, the wolf stepping in front of your path only to be joined by two of its snarling brethren, would make any heart skip and falter. One such creature, were it not octopus-like in its ability to manipulate its body shape to fit where it pleased, would not have been able to fit through the rift that Tanner guarded on his nightly watch. Time had not been kind to Tanner, but then Tanner had not been kind to Tanner. He wore this proudly, though, and never grumbled at it thought the beaten look he bore was a reflection of his carefree life, was always proud of the scar that ran from his cheek down to his lips. Volunteered to guard this each evening, knowing it was an act of bravery and recklessness he could add to his long list. He never thought anything would come through, never thought he'd have to do anything other than keep his ear defenders firmly affixed to his head. But when this thing squirmed and writhed its way around the rust-orange edges of that portal... Tanner did nothing but freeze in place, absolutely rooted to his seat. Its off-pink body bubbled and popped like melting plastic, its skin seemingly in perpetual state of destruction and recreation, the way it groped at the ceiling, floor and walls. Every surface in the room with these loosely arm-like appendages. He watched as the thing spilled from that rift as though being poured from a mould meant for some horror show prop. What may have jolted him into moving, but instead only rooted him more, was its stench. Like sulphur and sweat. A wave of it hit him and dried the back of his throat instantly. His body let out a reactionary cough, but Tanner played no part in the action of it. Instead, he watched as the undulating, pustule-filled blob wrapped its way around his feet, swallowing them in its mass, like it had everything else in the room felt the uncomfortable warmth of it caressing him, something inside its body making an examination of everything he was, tickling at him, investigating, analysing. He saw off-pink chairs forming in the now-dimming light of the room, a bubbling A-frame whiteboard, then in front of him a pair of thick, muscled legs melted into view, a fresh wave of stench ramming itself into his system. He took a gasp of air, Voluntarily this time, a mind can only starve a body so much before it gives in. But it was too late by now for Tanner. The thing had slid its way over his body in its entirety. Tanner knew he was gone. Hadn't seen this before, but knew in his heavy heart that he was gone. Guarding this thing each night and struggling day by day to make it through this living nightmare had really begun to take its toll on him. He knew that those he left behind would have their suffering diminished with one less mouth to feed. What made Tanner cry out, though, what made him want to say something with his final breath, was the old, grizzled face that began to render itself in front of him, one fitted with a freshly melted scar running from cheek to lips.
everything is low. This word I've used a thousand times, probably more. I've seen it written down over and over, and it was always a mild inconvenience. Low headroom. Low bridge. Low battery. <laughs> That's the killer one now. My phone. My watch. My headphones. Low. And now my portable charger. And of course my mood. Lower than low. I imagine in another time, another place, I may feel relief at the removal of working technology from my life. A break away from the endless stream of other people's consciousnesses. All their desire to contact others for the most banal of conversations. The quiet from the thing I could have removed at any point. If I'd really have wanted to. But I didn't. And now it's forced. Except it's not quiet, hasn't been for days. And I'm not sure. No, that's wrong. I know I can't take this anymore. Can't take the endless grinding breaths of that thing that traps me in this oversized concrete coffin. Cannot take the gibbering cries of whoever is trapped in the room next to me. The vent, too small to climb through, serves no other purpose than to act as the courier of that increasingly muffled, increasingly alien cries. Even the noise cancellation on my headphones isn't enough anymore. The cries, like metal on metal, inflected with some human element that I can't quite put my finger on, haunts me every second, every moment. There's no pattern either. No way I can quantify what is happening anywhere outside this room. The torch that I occasionally use to illuminate the growth that slowly pushing its way into the room is now dying. Low. Soon I... I won't be able to see at all. If you can even call that dim excuse for a light seeing. I think the room is smaller than it was before. Can't quite tell. Not in this gloom. I guess I'll know soon. In the meantime, I shall waste away to nothing. Perhaps we are entwined, myself and the grey moss. As I wither and fade, the moss stretches and grows. What if I were to consume its papery depths? Anorobarous, perhaps. <laughs> the snake, eating its own tail. Would I be? You would be eternal. eternal. Like the infinite darkness of space. Like time itself. Endless and untouchable. 
If only you were to surrender yourself. If only you all did. Instead, you feebly fight on, even in the face of something unfathomably greater than yourselves. Throughout history, your kind has marveled how even against the most unlikely of odds people have prevailed. How in desperation and panic the impossible can happen. But your hope in such a result in this instance is woefully misplaced. In other times you fought against yourselves and only the victors spoke of their valiant feats of endurance. Of survival because their boots were firmly planted in the skulls of those who thought their determination, their zeal, was enough to triumph. In other times you fought against diseases that ravaged the population and cried out in relief when through all that loss, that sickness abated and humanity still stood. But even in that, it was only through numbers you prevailed. How is it then that you will endure against the endless? Against those who do not stop to relish the kill? Those who do not tire? Those who do not know bravery or courage or fear or hesitation? For they are driven by blood and blood alone. You suffer now not because the creatures at your door have made intentions to trap you in your room but as mere happenstance of the endless swallowing your world. You are not alive as a mercy, but as a side effect of entities whose plans are unknowable by anything other than itself. So embrace. In the face of the endless, embrace. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.